is a big, rich town, but will the Senate flex enough power to remove 45 from office? Speaking of power, 50 Cent calls file on Oprah for throwing brothers under the bus. New York City saw the return of SNL's prodigal son, hashtag money don't crack. And two singles on Ready to Love pulled the ultimate sucker punch while riding off into the sunset singing, I'll take your man. Salt and pepper could see that one coming. It's the holidays, y'all. Grab some sweet potato pie, eggnog, and holla at your family. 45 is on right now. V from the D and CC Power represent teen 40s and 50s with topics to fortify Generation X. We share the Black experience and perspective to help you stay relevant because what you learned back then may not be the same in today's world. Join us as we hashtag Rethink Grown at 45 Show, the number 40 F-I-E-D show, everywhere where podcasts are found. What is up, CC Power? V from the D, what it is. I am doing lovely. How are you today? I would say I'm good, but after watching that Ready to Love reunion, <laughs> I'm going to hold my mule right now. In fact, calm down. Nah, I'm not calm. I am not calm. I threw house shoes at the TV. I'm over it. Not since Omarosa and Kwame have I been so furious with Black folks on television. But I digress. So let's get into hot topics before we get to Ready to Love and the recap. Marv hit me with the horn, please. So, comedian Roy Wood said, impeachment is you and your homegirls having all the evidence that your man is cheating, but to break up with you, you got to convince a jury of his frat brothers who were there cheating with him that your man is a cheater. Let's check out this update of the impeachment situation. The House Judiciary Committee experts testified that Trump's efforts to coerce the Ukrainian government to announce an investigation on Hunter Biden's involvement with an energy company basically equals an impeachable abuse of power. At this point, we now have triggered a trial in the Senate by the adoption of the charges by the House. However, we also have a showdown between Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell. Pelosi basically refused to commit to delivering the articles of impeachment to the Senate, citing concerns that there would not be an unfair trial. Meanwhile, McConnell is continuing to make clear he has little interest in serving as an impartial overseer of the Senate trial. Basically, we're in a delay at this point. There are any number of possible outcomes as it relates to the possible removal from office of 45. I'm just curious, though, as to which option is most likely. If we end up with the Senate going to trial, 45 could still be acquitted. And by the time the chain of events takes place, it could be well after the presidential election. So either he would be removed or it's very possible he could be reelected. CC Power, what are you thinking at this point? We've seen a lot of hubbub. We've got a lot of different theories floating around. And now what we have is a delay. Is it possible that the House moved a little bit too quick and they weren't really ready when they started down this path? No, that wasn't an issue at all, in my opinion. I think the House actually moved too slow. 
interesting to me that they left out a lot of the Mueller investigation stuff as far as why they were impeaching President Trump. To me, the Mueller investigation was significant and leaving that out kind of lets him off the hook. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out as things move forward. So they kind of went and moved forward on broader impeachment terms. Like they really didn't use words like bribery and things of that nature. Right. So Mm -hmm. more broad crimes, abuses of power and things of that nature, which was smart to a degree. But leaving out the Mueller investigation was interesting. So I think the way that this thing is going to play out, eventually Pelosi and team will give those articles of impeachment over to the Senate. And I think Mitch McConnell and team will do what they've already vowed to do, which is to work in conjunction with the White House and the Department of Justice to make sure that Donald Trump is not impeached. So I don't think there's any way that they're going to impeach him through the Senate. Now, what can happen through this process, I think Pelosi is being smart by saying, hey, since you've already said that you're not going to be impartial, we're going to hold off and see if we can force your hand to where you would come to the table with something that resembles something that may be somewhat fair. We know that it's not going to be fair, Mm -hmm. but she's trying to do the best she can to push that forward. And I think that Once she does that, that's the best that the Democratic Party in the House can do. I think after that, we'll see what happens and we'll see how the Senate does the somersaults and turn ups into downs and right becomes left. You know, as he goes through the hearing process, which we all know will be laughable at at least. But here's the deal. Mm -hmm. Going through, as we get closer to the elections, I think it's going to, to stain the presidency and the Republican Party to have this on the television day in and day out. All of these things coming out, drip, 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 drip. They don't want that. But one thing that they're doing that's sinister, while we're going through all this impeachment hearing, he's pushing through judges. So he's pushing through judges and getting them in seats. Mm -hmm. So they're changing the landscape of the courts. Um, They've appointed like over 50 appellate judges already to the court. So this thing is really sinister, what they're doing. And it's, it's, it's going to change politics forever. So although the Democrats are doing the best they can, I think the, the Republicans are winning. They are still winning. And, and we've said all along, keep your eye on the ball, right? We've been told this whole time that there is the news and then there's really the news. <laughs> so there's the headline, but then there that's the distraction. Because while you're focused over here on impeachment, these judges are being pushed straight through with almost no resistance. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's, it's laughable on the one hand and very disconcerting at the same time. And this year is going to be critical in terms of voting and turning out and just making your voice heard. So... We have a lot more in store, and we will definitely keep you all up to speed as this saga continues. Next up, we talked about the return of the prodigal son. Eddie Murphy returned to Saturday Night Live 35 years after his departure, in which he basically became a megastar. His return was amazing. I thoroughly enjoyed the show. One of my favorite parts of the show was the opening monologue where he was joined on stage by fellow SNL alum Tracy Morgan, Dave Chappelle, who actually was not part of the original cast, but he won an Emmy for one of his hosting gigs on the show, Chris Rock, and Kenan Thompson, who at this point is the longest tenured 
alum of Saturday Night Live, and he's technically not an alum because he's still active and on the show. But an amazing performance. He revived all of his classic and iconic skits, including Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood, which is very interesting because the skit got real as it started to talk about gentrification. It's an interesting spin because if you remember when Eddie was a member of the cast, he was always pulling real life into his skit. So that made it pretty poignant over the weekend, but thoroughly enjoyed it. And then of course you get the backlash. So now you've got Bill Cosby serving time. And unfortunately he is disappointed. And if you know anything about Eddie's career and Bill's career, this is not the first time these two faced off. What are your thoughts on this, CC? Did you get a chance to catch the show? I did watch the show and I enjoyed it. Usually I'm not up that late. I'm, I'm kind of dating myself. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm not at a function or doing something, if I'm at home, I'm not watching SNL, not because I don't like it, but because I am asleep. I did I, I did catch it. I did catch it, and it was good. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed seeing Eddie, you know, breathe life back into his old roles and seeing Chappelle and Chris Rock on stage with them, although I wish they would have been in some of the skits as well. That yeah. would have been hilarious. That yeah, would have been, been hilarious. But mm -hmm. Yeah, no doubt about it. But I, I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it a lot. But this whole Bill Cosby issue, I mean, we can get into that because I'm just burning. I mean, that ticked me off. Yeah, it's frustrating. On the one hand, Bill Cosby, definitely a trailblazer. But it, it took for me to watch the news to remember that this has been an ongoing feud between the two of them. And honestly, Eddie has kind of walked away from it. And so for him to even say anything in the monologue about him, which to me was minor in the scheme of some of the things he could have said. And when you know his sense of humor, he is particularly raw, pun intended. You know, there's a lot of things he could have joked about that he didn't even touch. So I think this is an attempt to kind of stay relevant. And I think it was uncalled for. Yeah, I think that you probably hit the nail on the head. I think that his representative is the one, uh, Mr. Cosby's representative is the one right. who came out and said that Eddie was cooning, you right. know, by the way he talked about Mr. Cosby and the opening monologue. I thought the joke was hilarious, but when you really look at things and understand the context of everything, Bill Cosby really hadn't championed the black community probably since the beginning of his career when he was doing black exploitation movies and Fat Albert and things of that nature, sure. which were which were offensive in their own right, right? Right. But that but that that aside, to now have someone putting Bill Cosby on his pedestal as if he is the champion for black causes is disingenuous, right? If anybody has been cooning, it's been Mr. Cosby when he did the pound cake speech. At the NAACP <laughs> convention right. when he said that if you shoot the black boy, if a police officer shoot the black, why are you all up in arms about that? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not racist, etc. The question that you have to ask is, why does he have the piece of cake in his hand? You know, etc. So he went on this whole kind of tour where he was trying to preach morality to black community. And really that. he had... Yeah, he had no moral foundation to stand on. So Mr. Cosby can kick rocks. If anybody's been cooning, it's been him. And he talked about something about kids wearing an orange jumpsuit. Mr. Cosby, how is your orange jumpsuit fitting right about now? You know, because my thing was he blamed poor black kids for being in those situations. He blamed it upon the parenting when he was going on this tour. So we have to ask the same question to Mr. Cosby. I, I'm, I'm just ticked off about the whole thing. 
Yeah, it just was too much. And what's interesting to me, and I'll just say this quickly, you know, as I was watching Eddie perform some of those old characters, I would have thought, if anything, the buckwheat skit would have caught some fire and had some people set off a little bit. Because again, you got to remember, Eddie was popular going on 30 something years ago. There's a whole generation in this space of being politically correct and, you know, things not being as acceptable as they were back then, I would have thought if anybody said anything about that performance, it would have been on that skit in particular. So it's curious to me that Cosby's representative kind of came in and and stole his thunder. So be that as it may, if you like what you hear, make sure you follow us on 45 Show, the number 40, F-I-E-D Show, on SoundCloud, Instagram, Spotify, iTunes, and Twitter. Basically everywhere podcasts are found, but make sure you interact with us and let us know what you think on some of these hot topics. New episodes drop every Throwback Thursday. Now I'm ready. I'm ready and now we bring you to what I used to think was my favorite reality show, and that is Ready to Love, which I, I still like Ready to Love, but you know what? We had the reunion show this weekend. As you know, Ready to Love is a reality show featuring 20 chocolate singles searching for love in Atlanta. And as we came to find out this weekend, the battle of love and war is terrible. It can be very ugly at times. So we're up to the reunion show. And our favorite couple, Darren and Ashima, they're still good. She actually learned to live with his dogs. I thought that was a major win. Didn't you think so, Cece? Absolutely. And, you know, I mentioned that during our last podcast um, when we saw the last episode that it seemed that they were willing to compromise. And so that's important. And it was nice to see Darren kind of give her those public kudos, you know, and saying that, hey, babe, you know, you're not giving yourself enough credit. So but I also want to see him compromise on some stuff as well. But, hey, hey, they look good. They look good. Yeah, they look very good. I'm very happy for them. I was excited to see that Nina, who exited early because she had some issues going on, meaning she basically had a little bit of a temper, that she apparently has established a connection with Terrell, who also exited early. So that that was a little bit of a win. That was a win. Everybody needs somebody. So I'm glad that they stayed connected. And I wish them the best. However, I told you back, Earlier on, even when Nina did her casting, I dubbed her the walking wounded. I still don't think my girl, I don't think she's healed. And even when the reunion show, when Tommy was asking her certain questions, she was still struggling. And she seemed like her emotions was just right there on the surface. And she's struggling with a lot. So Terrell said that he's a man with a lot of patience. So he's going to have to bring that in abundance to this relationship or friendship or whatever they have. I wish them the best, but, you know, I think it's going to be a rocky road. I don't think that she's healthy enough right now to be in a relationship. And she kind of alluded to that herself. But you know what the good thing is? What I liked about them showing that clip that did not air originally was that it was a positive image of a brother actually having a positive conversation, positive reinforcement in that conversation that he had with her on that date. And he talked about the fact that that was his best date on the show. And so... That, for me, coming behind the scene where we last saw her cussing somebody out was huge. Kudos to the producers for running that clip because they didn't have to do that. And I'm glad that they did. 
another thing that it taught me too is that I need to switch it up, man. I need to start giving giving girls <laughs> giving some gifts. Beads. No, no, <laughs> cheap gifts. Not gifts. My gifts aren't cheap. I'm gonna start giving chicks like little little beaded bracelets. Really? Go to the pottery barn and make really? me a little, you little clay what? ring and get off the microphone. Get off the microphone. Anyway, moving That's what on. I learned. That's what I learned. <laughs> Who, who need uh, a blue box? Who need a blue box when you got the clay pottery association? Or where is the horn? Where is the horn? <laughs> I need the prices right. Bomb is what I need. <laughs> anyway, so Jimber, also known as Jimmy and Kimber, uh, had a chance to reconcile as well. Now this one was really interesting because if you recall, Jimmy was a G. And he he just got really upset and really showed out bad. This is the whole pool party uh, situation that went down. And so you had a little back and forth. Jimmy still was not ready to apologize. But something interesting happened during a break. He kind of fell back into almost a somber mood. And he was making the comment that, you know, at one point in his life, he had a woman that would calm him down. Interesting observation. And then after that, he flat out apologized and offered a real, legitimate, and seemingly authentic apology to Kimber. Standing ovation for him. I was very proud in that moment. I was happy for them. Yeah, on Jimmy and Kimber, that was interesting. I think that clearly it seems that they still have an interest in one another. That was one of my takeaways. I don't think that it'll last. I wish them the best. The reason why <laughs> I don't do think, think it'll think last, last. I mean, <laughs> people that people that bring healthy individuals to a relationship. And when I see people sure. that are really, and I'm not saying that everybody doesn't have baggage. That's not what I'm saying. Everybody has their wounds. Everybody has baggage. But I'm talking about how they present themselves and how they deal with certain situations. To me, Jimmy seems like a brother that still needs to do some work. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he mentioned earlier that he was clingy in his cast interview. We've seen that, but the level of maturity isn't necessarily quite there. Um, he seems to be really, really emotional. Even when you talked about when the cameras were off and they went to commercial and he talked about, hey, how he used to have someone he could lean on. And she was like, are you lonely? Like, it felt like there was something much deeper going yeah. on with him. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so to me. That brother needs to heal. And I think Kimber has her own issues. You know, I dubbed her blind spot. So she has her own issues that Mm -hmm. she needs to work on. And so I think when you get two healthy individuals coming together in a union, I totally think that can work. When you get two broken individuals like that, I just think that it's tough for it to work. So, But I wish them the best. I wish them the best. (laughs) So one more quick reunion, if you will. They did address the issue of Chika and and Ashima. And I actually want to save this for the next show because interesting nugget here, just in terms of the communication between men and women, it was pretty poignant. And I'm glad that they brought this point out, but we will save that for the next show because don't get it twisted. Mario, Tandy and Reva. I'm going to have to exhale through this whole part of the segment because honestly, I really want to throw Mario and Reva under the bus only because of the way this was handled on the show. Now, before you start talking trash, I'm going to go ahead and take my L, and it's a big capital L, so all y'all can see this big L right on my forehead. Make it bigger. Make it bigger. Whatever, man. (laughs) Whatever, man. Anyway, so yes, I fell for the Mario Okie Doke just like Tandy did. 
I thought it was so cute with a little cheesy plaster ring. <laughs> I got something for you, girl. <laughs> Basically, he was selling false hope to this girl. And not even this girl, my homegirl. T from the D. What up, though? We both got shook. And I'm mad for her. I'm throwing shoes at the television. I'm cussing out everybody at work today. Why? Because of this clown. The problem I have here is not the fact that their relationship did not work out. I get that. Life happens. And honestly, I'm a little upset with him because he knew he was interested in Reva early on and would not make a move. He was so busy trying to swoon and really sweep Tondi off her feet for the sake of the show when he knew he didn't really have compatibility with her, but he was interested in Reva. Be that as it may, you wait until the reunion show to basically throw her under the bus, the sucker punch. They announced that they're now in a relationship and have been in one. Dirty. Not since Kwame and Omarosa on The Apprentice season one. Have I seen anything this ridiculous? It's another instance of black on black crime on national TV. I'm done with them. Done. What you got to say for him this time? Because you ain't getting out of this one. I never said that Mario was my boy. Like you've already said with that L that wasn't quite big enough. <laughs> that was your boy, and you were rolling with <laughs> you were rolling with Mario. And I told you that he was the silent assassin. I said, that's the cat that you need to watch out for. That is the dude. And he gave us so many hints. The hint that he gave us, the big one was when he met with Reba when she was exiting the show, when she self-elected to leave the show. And he was like, hey, can we keep in contact after the show? Major red flag. Major red flag. But no. You guys still want to celebrate and ride with Tandy. He's well, I know Tandy. you like, no. to her when the show was but, over. But no, but here's Not the deal. That, that's, that's a red flag because I already told you that he wasn't that into Tandy. And right. then on top of that, you see that. That reconfirms mm-hmm. that this dude is not about Tandy. He's not about Tandy. So what he's trying to do is just buy time, enjoy the space that he's in currently, and then later, he's going to do what he wanted to do. Now, throughout the entire season, we saw him talk about Tondi where they weren't compatible. She was loud, right? We talked about how he didn't feel like she was ladylike. Mario is more reserved. So there was a compatibility issue, a real compatibility issue, in my opinion, early on that showed his head. His family talked about how he had this dark side. He confessed to having this temper, right? Tondi even confessed to spray painting her ex's car. So she has a little crazy too. So let's not forget that. So crazy on crazy, incompatibility, that was just a problem to begin with. Now, the way that Mario handled telling this young lady, that he's with someone else, he's with someone else, was horrible in the worst way. And his attempt to apologize for it in social media falls on deaf ears. I give him zero for that. And anybody that's accepting that apology or giving him accolades for apologizing, you met the minimum standard, brother. And that gets you nowhere. He shouldn't have done it. He should have known better to do something like that. So it was classless and it's probably going to follow him around and haunt him for quite a while. I don't know how he's going to shake that. Now, Tandy and Reva, on the other hand, to me, they're equally messy. They were both being messy. 
And Tandi showed a lack of class as well. It was classless of her to when Mario went over and said that he's with Reva and he sat down next to Reva and Tandi and he gave her a kiss and Tandi's like, okay, well, yeah, how does my cat taste? Classless, classless. We understand that you're angry, sister. We understand that. But you rise above it. And so that showed that she's willing to go just as low and that showed a lack of class on her part. You got to call it like you see it. Now, where Reva was wrong, in my opinion, if they had a type of friendship, and see, to me, that's the big issue. If they had a friendship, then Reva was wrong in a lot of ways. But Reva saying that, hey, I won, that was that was kind of tacky. That was tacky, right? But in the context of the show, it's really a competition. So in Reva's mind, this is just an extension of we were both vying for this guy's attention. Initially, he said that he wanted you, right? Or he was on the fence. Reba said, I'm good. I'm backing out. I'm self-electing to leave the show. He's yours. He chose to, okay, I'm done with you, Tandy. Now I'm going back to Reba. So she has the prize in the end. So I see how she's saying, hey, this was a competition. And, hey, I won. Eventually, he came to his senses. And he came to the right one. So for me, absolutely, absolutely. Now. So go ahead. Tell tell me how you feel about it. Tell me me how you feel about it. Bottom line, a couple things. Who among us being thrown under the bus on national TV on a taping, being completely caught off guard is not going to keep it together? I agree with you. The ultimate definition of a lady would be to keep it together in that situation. But I ain't mad at her for coming back the way she did. Was it classless? I wouldn't say that. I think it was about equal. Because my issue is Reva basically gloating and throwing this in her face. Because keep in mind, allegedly, there's this history between the two of them and Reva coming after one of Condi's mates before. So this would not be the first time that she has done this. So that, to me, is what kills the whole if they were friends thing. But no, they weren't. Believe, but that's only if you believe Tandy's side of the story. Right, but there's a lot that we don't know. There's a lot that we don't know on both sides. But I'm taking that as a yes, it happened, because here you go doing that nonsense again. So, yes, she did it. (laughs) Hold on, wait. Reva Reva did not take her man. Reva did not take her man. We we don't know that for sure. What happened was Mario left Tandy. But I'm not even talking about that. I'm not talking about See, that. I'm the, talking the, about the, the prior incident before this as, show. As, Remember, they knew each other, and Reva came for a man that Tommy was dating previously, before that, Mario. But, we don't, but but she's saying that didn't happen. So as the as the famous street theologian Goldie said, <laughs> Tommy said it yo, happened. Yo, that's yo, all that yo, yo, woman chose me. So <laughs> so Reva got chosen. Okay, so Tandy just has to deal with that. Either way, beyond the breakup, this right here, messy. Black on black crime not called for. And like you said, it is going to follow Mario. It is going to follow Reva. By the way, neither one of them can take comments on social media right now because y'all done came and stalked them and said all this crazy, nasty stuff on their pages. (laughs) I actually feel bad for them not and then Tandy went on IG Live today to offer a little bit of an explanation. She seems to be doing fine. Hang in there, sis. Much love. What up, though? 
But bottom line, this thing got ugly. And this is just part one. We haven't even gotten to part two yet <laughs> with the real drama between the, yeah, the real coming. London, Brent, and Alexis. So, man, listen, I told y'all this show would eventually get to a point where it was going to be hype and there was going to be a lot of drama popping off. I'm here for it because it ain't about me. <laughs> so we're looking forward to part two of the reunion this Saturday. We also hear that apparently somebody on the cast was married. So that's going to come out this week mm. as well. I can't wait to see what happens. Join us next week as we talk Ready to Love, the reunion show, part two, hot topics, and the Rethink Grown topic of the day at 45 everywhere podcasts are found we are fortified and now for our rethink grown feature topic of the day so i mentioned earlier that 50 cent threw a penalty flag at Oprah. Here's the situation. 50 Cent wants his 25 million Instagram followers to know that Oprah Winfrey is going after black men. It was announced last week that Winfrey will be executive producing a documentary about the sexual misconduct allegations against Russell Simmons. Very problematic because the reality is that Oprah has done no such thing, even though she has the power to do so regarding similar allegations against Harvey Weinstein. One of the things that 50 did was to kind of make this attack a little bit viral, if you will. So he's calling her out on social media. Simmons is calling her out on social media. And it really begs the question whether or not it is fair, and I'm using my air quotes, for Oprah to call these gentlemen out. Why is this an issue? This isn't the first time that we've heard of Oprah throwing us under the bus, if you will. If you think back to the Michael Jackson documentary, where it turned out that one of the primary people featured in that documentary turned out to not be telling the truth, if you will. And so the question that has come up in social media everywhere and and just in various circles is who has the right, if you will, or who can call out black male celebrities? Is this a situation where black men are more sensitive to topics like this? And rightfully so, because when you look at Bill Cosby right now, he's serving a very long sentence compared to Weinstein, who will probably not serve any time. So we already know there's unequal justice that takes place as a result of some of these cases. But the bigger concern is whether or not it is fair for Oprah to report on situations like this. And if Oprah can't do it, who can? So help me understand the logic here. Is 50 just stirring up trouble as he normally does? Or does he have a legitimate concern and beef here with Oprah? Definitely 50 has a point in in some ways. And I'll speak to that. And I think Russell Simmons has a point and a gripe in some ways. I think the X factor is how much does Oprah really know about these alleged actions or behaviors by Mr. Simmons. So the X factor for me is if Oprah has some information to cooperate or to convince her with, uh, I wouldn't say beyond of a shadow of a doubt, but it has to be pretty convincing that Russell Simmons is guilty of these allegations. 
then I can see her pursuing to develop this documentary, which sounds like it's going to be one-sided, just telling it from the side of the alleged victims, right? If she has something else in mind where she's going to maybe try to show a more balanced perspective, then we'll learn that when they release the documentary. But it doesn't feel that that's going to be the case. So in calling her out, when you didn't call out other men in media, powerful men in media, or et cetera, for similar situations when they were allegedly sexually violating women, Harvey Weinstein, like the president, and the list goes on and on. Where were you then, Oprah? I think that is valid. The other piece of it for me is I thought that Russell Simmons and Oprah had some type of relationship where they were friends to a degree. And so based on what right. I saw Russell Simmons post on social media, he was reaching out to Oprah, but he did it in a way that wasn't combative, just saying that, hey, you know, we've been friends. You've been inspirational to me, the community, et cetera. We've been friends all this time. You know me. I've admitted to being a womanizer in the past, being a playboy, but I didn't rape anybody. I didn't do those things. So why are you now creating this documentary, this one-sided documentary about these alleged behaviors that really have no basis. So for me, I think that's a valid question for Russell. And and I, I went back to look at the Oprah's interview and try to find her comments on Harvey Weinstein when all that was going on. Mm-hmm. And I saw an interview that she had done on CBS This Morning back in 2017 And they specifically asked her about Harvey Weinstein and the allegations against Harvey Weinstein. And what she said essentially was she looks for the silver lining in these situations and ultimately said that this is a watershed moment for women all over and across various industries to confront these traumas. And she didn't want to make this just about Harvey Weinstein. So to me, that's troublesome. Why isn't Harvey Weinstein a key focus of this documentary as well? Why didn't she add Trump in there? Why didn't she go after Lee Daniels? I've heard a lot about Lee Daniels and his predatory behavior on young men, you know, and using his power to sexually assault young men and abuse young men, allegedly. So for me, I think that there are a lot of valid questions that 50 Cent is bringing up that Russell has brought forth. And I think Oprah owes it to them, especially Russell, if they are friends to... Give him the benefit of the doubt. I couldn't imagine Oprah doing something like that to Gail. If Gail was accused of something and somebody made some allegations against Gail, and even if Oprah had evidence that maybe suggested that maybe Gail was guilty, I still don't think Oprah would take it to the next step and create a one-sided documentary and put that out there in the media for public consumption. So I, I say Oprah, she, she needs to take a step back and maybe revisit that. Well, I think you bring up two, two separate but similar issues. So the first is, if these are your personal friends, are you going to hold them accountable and essentially try your friendship at the same time you're trying to tell the story? The other piece of this, though, which I think is more damaging in terms of how we report on stories about black men when you are a black female in a powerful position. 
I think it feeds into the ongoing conflict that we have within our community with communicating with each other. And in addition to that, this whole notion of a woman trying to hold a powerful man accountable. So you've got two moguls in their own right. As you mentioned, they are friends at the minimum associates. Let's not go back there again, right? Ready to love. (laughs) (laughs) And understanding that Oprah is still a journalist first, right? Russell is a public figure. Is she supposed to not report on the story because he's Russell Simmons and, oh, he happens to be my boy? I don't know the answer to that. And that's not for me to decide. She has to make that decision. As far as Harvey Weinstein, my understanding is that there's potentially some business dealings there, allegedly. So, again, it could be a business tie back to the Weinstein company. Not sure as to why she hasn't touched him. If you recall earlier this year when the whole surviving R. Kelly situation went down, it was Gail that did the interview the critical interview, really, that really exploded that story. And so I think my question and or concern to 50's point, how do you do this in a way that doesn't feel like you're just coming after all Black men? How does she do this? There is no other Oprah. There is no other Gail. Conceivably, any Black person in the spotlight that Oprah or Gail interviews in light of allegations of this nature they're gonna get talked about and dragged in the media because of this feeling of unfair treatment and it's not right they're both journalists they're doing their job so does that mean because they're black female journalists all black male that are in the spotlight are now off limits how do you manage that how do you reconcile that so i i think that you bring up a good point v but from my personal perspective I don't think that it's an attack by Oprah on black men. I know that's where 50 took it. I don't think that. But I do think that there are glaring inconsistencies in the way that she's treated the black man. This mogul in this instance is Russell Mm -hmm. Simmons. Mm -hmm. And also how Gail handled R. Kelly. But the R. Kelly thing was different to me. But let's just stay with Russell Simmons. Mm -hmm. So how she's treating Russell Simmons and the allegations against Russell Simmons Versus Harvey Weinstein. And the business tie there that you mentioned earlier, it is definitely due to partly a business tie. She knows Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein's company distributed her movie, The Butler, that she did with Lee Daniels. Okay. So there's definitely a business tie there. And people have asked Oprah about Harvey. And Mm -hmm. she called him a bully and everything else. But she never levied those accusations at him. And she never conducting a documentary. Why not do a documentary on Harvey Weinstein? Why not do one on Russell's Trump? Point. Why, but why not do point. one on Donald Trump? I mean, mm-hmm. all, I mean, you you want to be, you want to carry the torch mm-hmm. for this issue, right? Which is a serious issue. I'm not making light of the issue. If right. men have violated women in this way, then they need to suffer the consequences. Mm-hmm. But there are inconsistencies in the way that they seem to be treated and the way that Oprah is approaching this. I wish that Russell and Oprah would have had some conversations behind the scenes prior to this blowing up in in media, but Mm -hmm. they probably did because I think Russell is being strategic about it 
He probably talked to her behind the scenes and it didn't go anywhere. And so now he's taking it to social media and bringing it to the public, still being gracious and still saying, hey, I was a womanizer, et cetera, trying to accept some responsibility. There's only one thing that Russell said in his admission about his being a womanizer in the past. He said that he hadn't been with eight or 14,000 women like Warren Beatty or Wilt Chamberlain, but still it's an embarrassing number. So many that some could reinterpret or reimagine a different recollection of the same experiences. That last little bit for me is problematic, Russell. That feels like he's trying to hedge because he knows that something happened and he's trying to leave room for a gray area. So the allegation is that more than 10 women have accused Russell of sexual harassment, assault, and rape. Much more to come on this story, as we usually say, but I will call your attention for reference. If you want to read a really good article about this topic, Shanita Hubbard is an adjunct professor of sociology and author of the upcoming book, Miseducation, A Woman's Guide to Hip Hop. And she wrote an article uh, on this topic that you can find on Vox.com, V-O-X.com. So tell us what you think. Who has the right or the privilege, if you will, of reporting on these types of stories about Black men in the media? Is it problematic when you have Black female journalists calling out Black men? And further, is Russell justifiably concerned that he would be the subject of a documentary when Harvey Weinstein is not? Either way, you're going to hear more about stories like this in the media because it is all Again, a result of the hashtag MeToo movement. So let us know what you think. Leave us comments on Instagram or on Twitter and hit us up. And make sure you check out The Fortified Show. We'll talk to you again next week and every Throwback Thursday. And also, by the way, happy holidays, everybody. Fortified is brought to you by your hosts, V from the D, CC Power, and producer Marv B. New episodes drop every Throwback Thursday. Conversate for a few, cause in a few we gon' do what we came to do. Ain't that right, boo? Sure.